We're continuing to study Nehemiah this week. It is chapter 7. And as Jerry says sometimes, he likes to give the bad chapters to other preachers. And he, he did this week. So I just want to say that up front. <clears throat> Nehemiah 7 is 73 verses long. That'll be most of the sermon. I'm just going to read. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, we're going to read an abbreviated version of Nehemiah 7 because probably about 60 of those 73 verses um, are names and numbers. It's a genealogy and names that are hard to pronounce. So, hey. But it is God's word, and there is a lot here when you dig just a little deeper. So we're going to dive right into Nehemiah 7, and let's do that now. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani charge over Jerusalem along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and he feared God more than many. And I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their watch post and others before their own houses. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been built. Then my God put it into my mind to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who were the first to come back, and I found the following written in it. These are the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani and Mordecai, Bilshan, Mishpareth, Bigvi, Neham, and Bana. The number of the Israelite people, the descendants of Perosh, 2,172. And so the, he lists many of them by descendants for a very long list. And then he lists also some of the people by where their town or their village was. So we'll move on to there. Of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721 people there. Of Sina, 3,930. The priest, the descendants of Jediah, namely the house of Jeshua, 973. Of Emmer, 1,052. Of uh, Pasher, uh, 1,247. Of Haram, 1,017. The Levites. The descendants of Jeshua, namely of Kadmael, the descendants of Hodava, 74. The singers, the descendants of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the descendants of Shalom, of Ader, of Talman, of Akub, of Hatita, of Shobai, 138. The temple servants, the descendants of Ziha, of Hasufa, of Tabaoth, of Keros, of Sia, of Paddan. And so we move on all the way to verse 60 where he's going to kind of close it out. All the temple servants and the descendants of Solomon's servants were 392. And moving on to, to verse 66. <clears throat> the whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides their male and female slaves, of whom they were 7,337. They had 245 singers, male and female. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. 
Now some of the heads of ancestral houses contributed to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, and 530 priestly robes. And some of the heads of ancestral houses gave into the building fund 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priestly robes. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel settled into their towns. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Most loving God, we give you this day again. <clears throat> and on this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's a long list here in Nehemiah 7, uh, and it's an important list, and we're going to get back to some of the list, but there's some important nuggets as well in the list. I'd like to give you a quick summary again. Most of you have been here for the Nehemiah series, but to just give you about a paragraph summary of what's happened. So when Nehemiah had received from the king of Persia permission to leave Persia and to go and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which we know had been torn down for about 140 years from 586 B.C. to 445 B.C. And despite many obstacles and threats, the people living there rebuilt the wall in an amazing 52 days. Now, it may not have been a pretty wall or the strongest wall, but it was accomplished by teamwork, by Nehemiah's leadership, by God's help. And it was uh, scaring the people nearby. They were afraid. They had seen... These people, uh, uh, led by Nehemiah, uh, foreigners, people they weren't related to, had come and done this amazing work in a short amount of time, and they knew that God was in it. So on to chapter 7. Nehemiah's got to get some of the people that are there in charge for security uh, to take charge of the city, and he needs to get a list of all the people who live <clears throat> nearby to help repopulate the city. So first, he appoints his brother Hanani, the mayor of the city. And when I first when I read that, I thought, well, that's nepotism, right? He's just giving his brother the plum job. But as you do a little more research, you look back. His brother, all the way back in chapter 1, is the one who travels from Jerusalem all the way over to Susa in Persia. And he's the one to tell Nehemiah how bad things are in Jerusalem. So his brother was willing to take initiative and take risk and take a, a, a long trip to seek out Nehemiah's help, and that's why he came. So apparently Hananiah is a good choice for mayor. Next, he appoints Hananiah, the name very familiar and sounds similar, as commander of the citadel. Basically, he's in charge of homeland security. He's to provide protection for Jerusalem. They appoint guards for the gates. They tell the citizens to be guards of the wall around their homes. And they set out when the gates can be open and closed for safety. Then Nehemiah says in verse 4, there's only a few people living there in town. And so he wants to find out. He wants to get a genealogy or in a sense like a census of who all is living nearby. And so he, he doesn't want to start from scratch. So he finds from Ezra uh, a list of all the people. Now Ezra and Nehemiah are linked together oftentimes in Scripture. Ezra was right before here if you read your, if you read your Bible. 
Ezra had come about 13 years earlier to Jerusalem out of exile, and he had come there to help the people confess their sins, uh, to get the, the, and the temple was underway, being rebuilt, which, had, which was finished and completed. And then Ezra was helping the people to turn back to God before Nehemiah came back to help rebuild the wall. We're going to read more about Ezra, give you a preview next week in, Ezra, in Nehemiah chapter 8. It will be there. But Nehemiah uses his list uh, to find out who all is living there in Jerusalem. And he finds out, in the end, we read, there are 42,360 Jewish people living in the region. So who all is there? Well, let's dig a little deeper into that. If we go back to verse 5, it says there are nobles and officials and people. So I was doing a little research on that. It says the nobles could be called important citizens. That was in another translation, important citizens. The people in other translations are called the common people or the ordinary people. When I was first looking at this a couple of weeks ago, I wrote in my notes, God cares for the big people and God cares for the little people. And I didn't think that sounded so good. So what's better point is God cares for everyone. Everyone matters to God. The commanders, the mayor, the priests, the gatekeepers, the singers... And the common people, the ordinary people, they all matter to God. In fact, the list of the common people is what takes up most of the chapter. So we know that matters to God. I think this is uh, important in Nehemiah. It's not a very long book. It's 13 chapters long. But most of chapter 3, most of chapter 7, most of chapter 11, and part of chapter 12, Nehemiah continues to do genealogies. He continues to list people by name or by their family names. And so we know this must be important to God, that families are important to God, that names are important to God, individual people are important to God because there spends so much time on it in Nehemiah. Now, I'm not great with social media, uh, actually not very good at all, so I'll admit that. And so I leave that to my kids. So I, but I hear them sometimes talking a little bit about social media And I hear a couple of things. Number one, I hear it's good to get likes on Instagram. I don't really know that, but I hear that that's good. And then I hear if you use Twitter, that it's good to get retweeted. Like if you want to tweet something cool and you get retweeted. So I thought that was fine. But I thought this week, if your family name was listed in the Bible, that's way cooler than getting retweeted. I like that a lot. And it's a reminder that to God through Nehemiah, that people's names matter to God, that all of us matter. Nehemiah, as a good leader, he gives everyone a job to do. And this is a reminder that we all have a part to play in God's plan. He gives them a job to do in rebuilding the wall near their homes. This has been part of the story we've been reading up until now. It was near their homes, so they had a vested interest in the work. As Jerry said last week, part of chapter 6 is that they had a great work. They were rebuilding the holy city, the city that God had set aside for them that was in ruins. They were rebuilding it by first rebuilding the wall. Then they were going to be rebuilding their very houses and and clearing up the rubble around the city. So by Nehemiah having a vision for this, by pulling all the people together, by God listing the names, we were reminded again that all of us matter to God. Our names matter. Our families You matter, I matter, we all matter to God.
This week we had fall break as well at my house, and so uh, Claire and I and our two younger sons did a college visit to Indiana Wesleyan University where they have chapel. So they want you to go to chapel on your college visit, and we did. And I got a quote from the chapel speaker, so it's always good to listen and, and get something you can use later, right? But I wanted to give him credit. It's a great little saying, and it relates to Nehemiah that we all matter to God. He said this, sometimes you feel like a somebody, sometimes you feel like a nobody, but God can use anybody. And it may be a little trite or cliche-ish, but I think it's true that we may feel like we're not that important. We may feel very important, but God can use anyone. When does God use you? When you're available and you're willing to be called to do his work. God can use you. God uses all the people to help rebuild the wall, and by doing so, they feel that they are part of this great work, and it is a great work. It's an important work. This reminded me of an old story, which I'd like to share with you. You may have heard it before, but here it goes again. In medieval times, there was a traveler who came upon a stonemason at work, and he asked, what are you doing? Well, the man looked weary and unhappy, and he said, can't you see I'm cutting and laying stone, and the stone is so heavy. This is very hard work. I'm tired, and my back hurts. The traveler continued on his way and came upon a second stonemason. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm building a wall with this stone that I'm cutting, and I'm, I'm, I'm merely just thankful to have work to support my family. The traveler moved on. He encountered a third, a third stone mason nearby who seemed to be doing exactly the same thing. And he says, well, what are you doing? The man stood up straight, and he smiled a big smile, and he pointed to the great walls around him, and he said, I'm building a cathedral. He understood that what he was doing, although it was a small part, and there were many other stonemasons around, they were all cutting stone, that he was part of something great. He was part of a great work. And we are too today. Anytime that any of you join God in what God is doing, whether that's helping a neighbor, whether that's making a phone call, it's caring for someone in need, it is, is being a good family member for someone in your family, it is joining a ministry here at church in which we help others, caring for children or teens or otherwise. You are joining God in his great work and you too are building, you are building God's kingdom for God's pleasure. We too then are adding our names to the story. As we read so many names in the story, when we do God's work, we are adding our names to the story and to God's history so that we too can be listed. Maybe not in the scripture here, but we can be listed as part of God's history of what he is doing in the world. So whether we are nobles or commoners, whether we are important citizens or ordinary people, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to do this? Well, a couple of things. First, we belong to God. Know that you belong to God. Know that you are God's children, that you are made in God's image, uh, that you are important to God, that your name matters to God. Know that and believe it. Remind yourselves of it. It matters. Second, we all have a part to play. God can use anybody, whether you feel like a nobody or a somebody, or maybe one day you feel like a nobody and the next day you feel like a great somebody. God can use anybody. 
in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the one who has the vision. He is the leader, but he's smart enough here to list all the other people, all the other jobs that people do and the parts that they play to list them because they do have an important part to play. Why did he choose who he chose? He chose his brother to be mayor, and he chose Hananiah to be commander of the citadel. And this is something else we can learn, because Hananiah had two important character traits which we can share. Nehemiah says near the first part of chapter 7, he says, Hananiah was a faithful man, and he feared God more than many. Hananiah was faithful and feared God more than many. First, he was faithful. Another version that I read said Hananiah was a man of integrity. He was a faithful man who had integrity. So what are people like that are like that? Do we want to be with them? People who have integrity, who are faithful to their work, they're people that we want to be around. They're people that we want to spend time with. They're people that we can trust. If we think about the opposite, people that maybe that don't have integrity, you want to shy away. You want to be cautious around those people. But Hananiah, who was faithful, who had integrity, that's the kind of person you wanted to lead, the person that you wanted to be around. It's the kind of people that we want to be too. People of integrity can be trusted. Hananiah feared God more than most. Well, don't we read in Scripture, we said, it says so many places, Old Testament, New Testament, do not be afraid. Yes, it does. But also in many places in the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New that we are to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? We have a couple of examples today from Psalm 111, verse 10, where it says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. If you fear God, it is beginning to have wisdom. Following his precepts or following his commands. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's as simple as that. If we love God, we revere God, we will obey his commands. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says this, likewise. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of everyone. We are to keep his commands. We are to fear God and keep his commands. This is all of us. This is all of our duty. Even young Mary, the mother of Jesus, talked about fearing God, even after she was confronted by the angel and was afraid. So the angel came to her and said, you're going to be with child, and he shall be the Messiah, the chosen one. He shall be God's son. And he told her, not be afraid. But later, in the Magnificat, in Luke 1, where she sings her song, she praises God, she says this, God's mercy extends to those who fear him. So fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. It can help make us wise. It helps to teach us to keep God's commands out of respect for God. And we understand when we fear God, God appreciates that. He extends our mercy to us. When we fear God, we have a humble respect and reverence for God, even an awe for God. One writer I looked at this week said, we can have a personal intimacy or friendship with Christ. That is true. We want that. We want to be close to Jesus. While we still maintain a sense of reverence for the majesty of God. We want to have a holy respect, a sense of awe, and a reverence for who God is. I was trying to think about that in, in more terms we can understand. I know there are some school teachers here today, and we hope that you have kids 
maybe uh, in, I was thinking of a kind of elementary age kids at that age, and I saw some of them in the gathering space, and as they were leaving here with Miss Kristen, you think of that age at eight or nine, a good student who has a great teacher, and the teacher loves her students, and she cares for her students. And so, out of a sense of respect, out of a sense of maybe almost a reverence and respect for my teacher, I want to do the right thing. I want to do what my teacher tells me to do because I respect who my teacher is. And I think that's the kind of the respect, not a fear out of cowering before God, but a sense of respect and reverence for God. So we want to be people of integrity and people who respect God. So whether you feel like a common person or a noble, it doesn't matter so much. Be who you are. God lists people, as we said, who work on the wall in chapter 3 and then He lists, using Ezra's list here in chapter 7, all the people who have come back. And they have a story to tell. They are doing something great. They are joining God in his work. So whether they're singers, priests, wall builders, guards, commanders, they are listed as part of God's people doing his work. Because everyone matters to God. When I first started getting involved in uh, ministry, I was volunteering back at my home church in Dallas, Texas, and I volunteered in the youth ministry there. And, uh, you know, sadly enough, they didn't ask me the first week to get up and teach the lesson. I went to a very large church and it was a big youth group. And I said, I'd like to volunteer. And we said, okay, what you want to do if you're going to volunteer? You need to come early and stay late. I said, I'm good with that. So when you come early, we need people to help set up the chairs because there's going to be a lot of kids coming. We need to make sure the room looks good. I can do that. I can help with that. And then when people leave, we need you to stay after because we're going to stack the chairs and, and kids, they're going to leave trash around. You're going to help clean up the trash. I'm good with that. I'm a commoner. I can do that. And then also before group, we're going to go back and we're going to get some refreshments ready. Uh, again, a lot of people are coming, so we have a lot of refreshments to do. And you can even help mix the lemonade. So I'm good with that too. So one evening, a Sunday night, we were running a little quickly as sometimes in youth ministry, you know, sometimes you wait till the last minute to get things done. And so I'm back with one of the pastors who I respected because I was learning from them how you do ministry. And he was going to fix the lemonade quickly himself. So he pours in the, the powdered lemonade. He pours in the five gallons of water and those big five gallon jugs of lemonade. And he's looking around for those long spoons, those big giant spoons that you use to stir the lemonade. And he can't find one. Well, the clock is ticking. You know, the kids are coming pretty soon. So he looks around, he takes his sleeve, he pulls back his sleeve, opens his hand up, he's a big guy, puts his hand in there and just stirs like this really hard for about 10 seconds. And then he pulls it back out, wipes off his arm and he goes, okay, we're good to go. Let's put the lid on, let's go. I didn't think it was so bad, you know, I thought it was okay. We didn't tell the kids that that's the lemonade they were drinking and we hoped he had washed his hands. The reason I say that is I think before that I had thought of this gentleman, one of our pastors is our church, is kind of a noble. You know, he's kind of a noble. He's a pastor. But after that, I saw him as more of a common man. Uh, and this is kind of who he was. And what I mean by that is that it's a funny example of the kind of person that I found out him to be is he would do whatever it takes, whatever it took to reach people for Christ, whether it means getting his arm wet in the lemonade and sticky stirring the lemonade or, or going to high schools to hang out with kids or leading them in prayer and teaching them the Bible, he would do whatever it took to help people learn about Jesus. And because of that, of the example of someone going before me, someone that maybe I could look back on generations, that maybe I could pass on to future generations, is this is what it looks like 
to be a person, a person of integrity who fears God, who wants to tell others about Jesus, who wants to be part of a great work. When I imagine Nehemiah, I imagine him more of a noble, but even Nehemiah, in chapter 5, I believe it is, he says the people are hurting, a lot of the people are without food, they're struggling, and near the end of the chapter, he said, I, I refused all the good food and the wine that they brought to my table, and I sent it back to the people. He was trying to be a common person, to serve the people where he was. That was his calling as a leader. Jesus was the greatest example of this. Being willing to love people where they are, we know so many of the names of the characters in the New Testament because they were willing to write down their names. Jesus knew their names. We are called to love people like Jesus did, people who are hurting, people who are the common people, people who are the nobles. Jesus was an example of this. So this week, fear God. Whether you are a commoner or a noble, you can follow Jesus with faithfulness and integrity. You don't have to be a somebody. You don't have to be a nobody. God will use anybody who's willing and available to serve him. And just as God has had so many lists throughout the scripture of people in genealogies, of people in family histories, of people in generations who have served him, been part of his plan, God wants you and he wants your name to be in that list too. He wants your name in his plan and in his book of life. With that, let us pray. Most loving God, we look at Nehemiah here and sometimes we wonder why all these names are listed and other places in the scripture as well. But God, we know that you have a plan. God, that every person listed here, the family names listed here, we know they're not perfect. But God, they played a part in your story, in this part of your story of helping to rebuild Jerusalem, which was a great work. It was an important work. And God, you are calling us to, to be your people. Help us even this week to find our place, to be your people, to fear you, to show integrity in our lives, to be somebody, anybody who follows you. And then you write our names in your book of life, part of your story, part of your history. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.